just came off of Christmas, and I love Christmas. I had a great Christmas. I hope you had a great Christmas. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that there are people who didn't, and we want to make sure that they understood that they're heard and that their feelings matter here. And so I wanted to talk about lost and found. Um, before I do that, I want to show you this. Let's see, where did I put that? There it is. For many years, and continuing to this day, I'll move this aside. It never did come on, but we're, we're, I think we'll be all right. Because um, I don't really need the back. But I just want to let the tech people know, all right? This um, little magazine is called World Christian Broadcasting. And for many, many years, members of the Churches of Christ in particular have put up towers to where they could send in radio signals into originally behind the Iron Curtain. Those of you of a certain age know what that means. But then into Muslim countries, into uh, Asian countries, and places that could not hear the gospel. And they've been doing this, and, they, and they're located here. I believe that's a Franklin address. It may be Brentwood, but it's real, it's close to the mall. And they've been doing this for quite a while. What you might not know is that some of our members have been very, very integral to this work for 40 years. And I got them the little mailer this week, I opened it up and saw Kevin and Nancy Chambers, our members in Anchor Point, Alaska. If you remember, she played for us a violin piece last week. They, um, after 40 years of commitment, they've named the building in Anchor Point, Alaska after Kevin and Nancy Chambers, two members of IC. Yes, please applaud. That's just... <clears throat> and we know they didn't do it for the applause, but I think a laborer is worthy to be mentioned and celebrated. So well done, well done. And it's just amazing. We love it that the Chambers are part of this fellowship. And while they're up there in the dark and the super cold of Alaska, we also have the Jays in Australia, and we have Ivana Ortiz down in Paraguay. They're in summer right now. So we, we are covering the seasons. I've often wondered what Christmas would feel like in the baking heat of Australia, but I don't care enough about that to go during Christmas. And so it's just a vague wondering. Our text today is Luke 15. And originally it was going to be a very short lesson, but I think with some of the other abbreviations, we'll We'll stretch it just a bit, but it won't be as long as most sermons are. There are three stories in this chapter, two quite short, one a bit longer. In the chapter just before this one, Jesus has had dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he'd warned people to, there was a cost to following him, and he used certain illustrations about what would it be like if a man decided, a king decided to go to war without figuring out, can I win? Only to be humiliated later. Or would a person begin to build a tower without figuring the cost and end up being humiliated when they could not finish? I've seen unfinished towers. Have you? Uh, in, in Europe, there are, there are those we call follies because they were created to actually give people a job and give them work, but then the money ran out and they're left unfinished. Jesus says there's a cost while he's sitting at a Pharisee's dinner table. That's why, by the way, 
we usually get the first two stories in Luke 15 right, but we rarely put the lessons into practice. And the third story, we completely blow it, even though it is by far the better known story. The reason is we divorce these stories from the context in which they were told. Always ask who's being, who is speaking, where are they speaking, to whom are they speaking, and why are they speaking. Once you sort that out, a lot more things come into context. Luke 15 opens up in a way that should have warned us what to look for. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Verse before, Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee. Guess what? He's still there. But now gathering around are the tax collectors and these sinners. Now, those of you who may work for the IRS or Inland Revenue or whatever the tax thing is in your country, understand that this is a different system. Uh, their system was they were being taxed on behalf of an empire that they considered evil. And tax collectors were known for cheating people, for getting extra, because they were paid by a percentage of the amount they collected. And therefore, they would, they would inflate the taxes you owed because there's, and there's no way to come back at them. So when it says that's why they're talking, enemies of the people who were defrauding the people and other sinners are gathering within sight of the Pharisees and the dinner. Luke actually has two of these scenes in, in the book. We've looked at one before. This is a second dinner. You would have thought the Pharisees would have learned. But they had gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, priests, clergy, theologians, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Remember that in the first century, in much of, in much of this world today, you are who you eat with. And I brought it before, the, the young Jewish man, Drew Bensky, who has visited 100 countries, and he was, uh, actually he's visited all the countries in the world now. But he has been blown away by the charity and love to where he couldn't even pay for meals. Because in Muslim countries, they just took him in. The only people he was afraid of were it was the state. And the state would come after him. The police would come after him. So his friends would have to disguise his red hair. And they'd have to move him around and say, all right, it is now not safe in this restaurant. But the people loved him. And would, they, they rejoice in giving. But once you give, there's an obligation. We brought this up last week. And that obligation is, once you have eaten with this person, they are a part of your community, and you are responsible for them. Marcus Luttrell was a Navy SEAL. And he was one of those in that helicopter that was shot down. And then the helicopters were shot down trying to get to them. And he was the lone survivor of that encounter. And they didn't get him back for a while because he was found by tribesmen there who immediately had an existential problem. Here is a man that we are, we are told is a foreigner and an enemy, but he is badly wounded. And we are under obligation to house and feed him. Once we do, however, now the Taliban will come after us. And we, they did. And they had to stand there and say, you cannot kill us because we've eaten together and we cannot give him to you 
because we have given him food. This is a serious thing. By the way, uh, the name of the book about this is called Lone Survivor. It's very much worth the read. Jesus is saying, uh, the Pharisees are going, you're eating with these people. Therefore, you're inviting them into our community. You are shaming all of us. Well, I don't think there's anybody on the earth that would have known the laws of cleanliness and association out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy better than Jesus. So, what's going to happen here? Jesus is going to tell stories. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at this. The first story, very simple. We're going to read Luke 3 through 7. Then, and by the way, I don't, we're, they're going to be up here. We want people to learn how to listen. But if you also have a Bible app, you want to follow there, it's fine. Luke 15, starting at verse 3. Then Jesus told them, then, in other words, in response, he told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Oh, there's so much going on here. It seems like a very simple story. I'm just going to bring up one thing. If you notice, you will notice never in any of these stories does Jesus require a long period of repentance. The mortification of the flesh. A penance. A show that you know you have done a horrible thing. Never. He immediately, you want in, you're in. You want back, you're back. But Jesus is also doing a couple of other things here. He's reminding the 99 sheep who believe that they are righteous and have no need to repent that they are in open country. The only reason they are surviving is because the shepherd's watching over them. They're not surviving because they're really good sheep. Nothing on the planet is afraid of a sheep. Unless, as in Scotland, sometimes they roam the golf course leaving behind what sheep do leave behind, then you, or you can fear them, but you're more angry than anything else. And Jesus is saying, all right, sheep, you are the flock of God. Be proud of that. But be aware, you too are in open country. And if you want the shepherd to come after you, the shepherd also has to go after sinners. I would really love it if God would blow up all the sinners who sin in a way that annoys me. <laughs> you would love the same. You may never admit it because you might be a better Christian than me, but you feel the same. And Jesus is reminding us, those righteous people who have no need to repent, sure you don't. But he's going to move on. He's not going to rub it in there yet. He's going to move on. Or... Oh, by, by the way, I do want to talk about the sheep real quickly. The shepherd noticed the sheep was gone. They noticed. In our community, we know several of our number are sick right now with seasonal colds, tummy bugs. Some of them are out of town. That's why we were originally not going to do this live. Now I look back and thought, you think if we'd recorded it, Misha could have sung the songs and you wouldn't have been putting in the comments, oh Lord, how long, oh, lo how long, oh Lord. 
and, and that's, that's just Cammy. So I don't know what the rest of you are. <laughs> my, my girl is right up there. Hi, sweetie. All right. Um, can I come home? He went in search of the sheep and brought it back. The rest of the sheep didn't go search for it. By the way, sheep don't go search. They don't. That's not the point. He's saying, I went after it. And I want to talk to some of you right now who might feel that you're that sheep who's wandered away. Maybe, maybe you are. But in my experience, I've run across a lot of one sheep that the 99 kicked out. It wasn't their flock, but they acted like they were doing this on behalf of the shepherd. A lot of you have been beaten up at churches, and I'm sorry, been beaten up at Christians. Some flocks have 20 sheep that rule the other 100, and then so when one gets tired and leaves, you know what they do? They say, well, that just shows they weren't a good sheep. I've been in churches all my life where a family leaves us, and the elders or you know, the, the, the assistant shepherds in the church are going, well, you know, you, if you just teach the, the word of the Lord, people are going to leave you. But it's only true if they leave to the left. If they leave to the right, want to go to a more conservative church, then people say, well, you know, they're, they're faithful people and we need to be more faithful. But if they leave to the left, it's always, well, they're lost. Isn't that fascinating? One of these days, and we'll give him full credit for it, uh, we really need to reenact the chair devotional that Rick actually did. And it's just amazing. Rick's a friend of mine and a good man. And he would put two chairs out. And this man fellowships this man, but he won't fellowship the person on this side. And then he keeps moving, and you start realizing what the sheep have done. Churches that are designed to meet the needs of the sheep aren't really what Jesus is interested in. There are too many churches that could put a sign out front, if they're honest, keeping the Smiths happy for 40 years. I just made up Smiths, not talking about you. But that's all that they're there for, because the income has to keep going. And the income's important, it is. We are given by a wonderful couple this space, and God gives us the electricity through solar panels. But we also have to have salaries paid and such, and so I understand that, I do. But sometimes sheep get in the way, and sheep get lost. Second story is much the same. Verses 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp? Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay. Something odd happens here, by the way. Not in the stories, but in the way we treat them. We have a, a lost sheep. We get it. A lost coin. We get that. <clears throat> Hunting with the light and with the, with the broom. I, I have a gift for not being able to find things. It is, I don't understand why. But I, it doesn't matter if I laid it down or not. You know, my wife may say, go into this drawer. She's very precise because she knows exactly where it is. Uh, she's not OCD because that's not alphabetical. She's CDO. <clears throat> but my, my son, I'm not making this up, actually took a picture of our silverware drawer. 
because he'd never seen anything organized in such precision before, and he was a Marine. Your thoughts and prayers are appreciated during this difficult time. She can tell me exactly where it is, and I can be there looking at it and not see it. Ever since I was a boy, it's been that way. And ever since I was a boy, that little sense of panic starts. You know, with my dad, it was not pleasant. It's right there. And I'm going, Dad, can we talk about the multiverse? Maybe it isn't. You know, you weren't allowed to say those things. And Cammie is very, very kind, but she, you know, she'll show it to me. Uh, just like she'll show the vacuum a piece of lint it didn't pick up. Women do that. Have you noticed that? Men, it's kind of like, well, you had your chance. But, but women will go over it three times, then pick it up, show it to the vacuum, drop it in front. And now, yeah, you know, women are amazing creatures. We have a lost sheep, a lost coin. And then we have, what do we call the next lesson? A prodigal son. We don't call him a lost son. We call him prodigal. Well, prodigal is an old word which isn't much used much in English anymore, but it means wasteful. It means a degenerate. It means irresponsible. So the lost sheep, lost coin, bad guy. Well, the bones of the story are well known. We won't read it here, but you do need to read this story because Jesus is saying this to a group of Pharisees and theologians while sinners are waiting to hear him. Younger son comes to the father and says, I want my share of the inheritance. Sounds very selfish, but the fact is that was legal. That was a right one had. But this is no boy. I've heard it also called a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost boy. This is no boy. You didn't get this right until you were around 30. Remember, Jesus started his ministry around 30. There is a reason for that. And so the father does not hesitate. Here. Here it all is. The younger man goes, leaves his community goes off and spends it all in riotous living, as the old versions put it. And when he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. Think of that. Just like many people have found in the music industry or the like, if you have a lot of hangers on and you're always giving them gifts, when you stop, they're not your friends anymore. And when you run out of money, they're not there for you. Well, that's very true about a lot of places. And now he is in the worst possible place a Jewish man can be. He's working for a Gentile who raises pigs. But it's worse because he has to feed the pigs. Oh, it's worse. He is so hungry, he wishes he could eat the slop he's pouring out for the pigs. He has nothing. Get the picture? Good. But that's not the picture Jesus wants you to get. That's where we like to hover. No, no. Watch carefully what happens in this chapter. You know the story. He, uh, he comes to his senses, or in some versions, he came to himself. And he says, all right, I need, I need to go home. But I need to repent because I've done wrong. He understood he'd done wrong. Just like the 12-step programs and the like, he took responsibility. And so he composed a, a, a speech of how much wrong he had done. And this isn't a fake speech to get back in. He says, Father, in the speech, 
I'm not even worthy to be one of your hired servants, but if you could make me the lowliest of the servants so I could have a place to be, that's all I have the right to ask. He heads home. Many of us who have gone sideways and into the rails and a few times over them in our lives and our morality and in our theology and our relationships, we understand the need to compose the speech. So as he's walking back, the scripture next says his father saw him. Now, I do not speak Greek, and I make no, um, no pretense of understanding the nuances of the Greek language, but I have friends. And those friends have talked to me about the word sees there is closer to the word spies in that it indicates the father was looking. Almost as if on tiptoes, scanning the horizon waiting to, for a glimpse of his son. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you got the wrong idea of God. God's on the horizon, on tiptoes, looking for these people who have shown up. That's who he is hunting. If you're righteous, cool, don't worry about it. But this is who he's hunting. The father runs. We have the only God who runs to us. No other, no other God out there. No, no mythology has ever been written of a God that runs to his people. This one runs to the son. And the son begins his speech. He says, Father, I have sinned. And the father cuts off the speech. He's not interested in the speech. He's not interested in a show of repentance. He's not interested in mortification and groveling and demotion. He cuts it off, turns to the people with him and says, go get the best clothes we've got. Get the ring that indicates he's part of our family, can speak for our family, make contracts for our family, and actually make our family under obligation. That's a ring of authority. He said, get the ring, get the best clothes, put it on him, go get the fatted calf, we're going to have a party right now. He stops everything, demands no groveling or pain. When I was a boy, we used to have an invitation song. <clears throat> the invitation song would sometimes have three verses as written. They, well, they might sing them again because the preacher would every now and then stop and do another sales pitch and my even as a boy I was thinking if 40 minutes didn't do it why are you doing it you know but I wasn't allowed to say that either there are many things that went unvocalized that's why I'm alive but the, the it was for three things to place membership I, I don't want to go there not now uh second or uh was to be baptized we're very pro-baptism Third was to repent of a sin that you'd done publicly. Therefore, it had to be a public repentance is what the rule was. And so people would come down and we'd sit with them and say, well, how can I help you? And they would, if one of them goes, well, you know, I've, I've been fighting addiction or I cheated on my wife or something and people know about it. We'd stand up and talk. They had to be, that had to be the show of repentance. And that's not found in scripture because Jesus would, has God cutting it off saying, nope, nope, back in. You're in. And if you think this is something which only conservative churches do, you are dead wrong. On Twitter, any conservative 
who makes an error in morality, uh, even if it's a horrific, mur- I'm not trying to, to, to um, wipe it clean here. Harm was done, people were damaged. Or in theology, <coughs> one, one poor person put up, they didn't much care for the book of Leviticus. Churches on the left attacked them up, down, and center. And I'm going, this isn't how you win them. This isn't how you win them over. Left and right attack. People just learn from God. And when someone comes back and even starts to say, I'm so, stop it, hug them, and win them over with love, not your rhetoric or your righteousness. I have no righteousness that I can bring to this party. But I do have love. And what I can do is I can show you my scars so that you are more comfortable showing yours. Because I'm the sheep, I'm the coin, I'm the prodigal. Spoiler alert. So are you. Especially the ones that don't think so. I'm the, the older brother, we got to talk about the older brother, don't we? The older brother, that's the church people who aren't happy that God, God's running to all these awful people and bringing them in. At church, the first church Cammie and I worked at when we came back to America, I won't even mention the city because I don't want people to trace a name and think about a name. One of the leaders of the church got up. The church had doubled in attendance in just a few years. And he stood up and goes, you know, I really miss it when it was so smaller and I knew all the names of people. I'm going, <clears throat> well, thank you for helping to make it smaller in the future. There, were, there are going to be people that Jesus loves that do not come up to your standards. Get over it. There are going to be people that God uses in service to do great and wonderful things that do not come up to your standards as an acceptable house guest. I would suggest in humility that God's view might be more valid than yours. And so we must accept these people. By the way, when we were little kids, they would always say, now, who wasn't happy that the, the prodigal came home and we'd all say the elder brother? I often thought the fatted calf. <laughs> Everybody else got a party. He didn't. Uh, and by the way, the threats remain because the, the father looks and goes to the older son. He goes, You've been here. You've been blessed the whole time. Why do you mind me blessing somebody else? Grace, by the way, is not a limited supply. So when God gives you grace, it's, or gives, gives this horrible person grace, it doesn't mean he has less for you. People, if they can get in, I've been asked repeated, you ever think, because I, I have, I'm a hopeful universalist, I've had people say, you think Hitler's going to heaven? You know, I don't think so. But if I was in heaven and saw him, my reaction would be, woohoo. Because that means if he's in, I'm the ruler of a kingdom. Why would we think that if God gives somebody else grace, he'll run out before he gets to us? And why would we ever think we're the ones who don't need it? The 99 sheep in open country thinking, we're pretty good. (laughs) You're sheep. And by the way, the shepherd shows his love by picking up the sheep, putting it on his shoulders, and bringing it home. And there's nothing in the world greasier and stinkier than a sheep. Trust me. We have more sheep than people in Scotland. Well, back to number one. The context. Pharisees 
If you want in, there's a cost. There's a cost to forgiveness. There's a cost to the criticism you're going to get, to the community that will leave you because you forgave. And you are also giving up all of your rights to be angry and get revenge. That's the hardest part for me because I'll run revenge scenarios in my head and then realize it's Patrick, that's not what we're supposed to be. But if it was, this is how I'd do it. You know, it I have to fight it. The hardest part to me for forgiveness is, is saying that it's okay if God just blesses them and keeps them over there. It's all right. We're going to end this with communion in here just a moment, but we celebrated Advent. And now we'll start this long, slow march toward Pentecost and Easter. And as the seasons change and our calendars flip pages, the love of God is constant. His presence is constant. And if you're one of those sheep or lost coins, or if you're a prodigal, um, and we're going to have a Lord's Supper here first, Craig, so you got a little bit more time off before you have to come rescue me. And he will need to. <clears throat> the, um, God is in search of you. And here's the kicker. You're inside of him. Just run to the one who's running to you. His grace is there for us and also for the ones we don't think deserve it. For these stories are not about sheep and coins, but about the value the master puts on every single one of us. It's not about a prodigal son, but rather about a loving father and a God who runs. This is why Although we live, we seriously live in a podunk place in the universe. And podunk, see? I've been in America a long time. We live in an unimportant corner of a massive galaxy which isn't that big compared to the others. And I've had my atheist friends of mine, and they are friends. You know, um, they'll say, why would you think God would choose this little corner? And I, this is where people get wrong, go wrong, is that they'll start saying, well, you know, God made this vast universe, but he had to make sure there was one that was habitable for the, just stop it. We don't know why. And here's the thing, we don't need to know why. Even Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's an atheist and doesn't have much love for Christianity, although he can be a jerk sometimes, he can also be a gentleman sometimes. So I got to admit, he's more like me than I appreciate. Even he, when talking to Andrew Claven this week, uh, Andrew Claven was saying, what about the multiverse? And, like, and he also said, well, what about interstellar travel? He said, it'll never happen. And so Andrew Claven was saying, well, what about wormholes? Even one opened up. How long? And if you went through, would you, would you be able to survive when you got out the other end? Would it be a world where you could survive? He said, no, it'll never happen. And my whole point is this. I don't know what God's doing everywhere else. I can't get there. I'm not responsible for it. What I do know is we have a God that ran to this little insignificant corner of the universe and gave everything. Put his own son's life on the line with the son's permission. The son volunteered for this. So as we take the bread, we remember the body of Christ, our Lord Jesus who crossed all boundaries, who turned 
from the righteous Pharisees after this and embrace the sinners like us who are now the body of Christ. It all comes together. Father in heaven, thank you for the bread. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life. Thank you for the body. In his name, amen. The body of Christ. The blood that was shed was special. Blood's been shed since there have been humans. But this blood was shed to show us something. Not just to forgive us of our sins. You hate to use the word just in these contexts. Context. However, if it was just for the forgiveness of sins, we would be forgiven, but we wouldn't have hope. It's the resurrection. The blood hit the ground, but the life did not leave. He rolled the stone away and walked out and said, see, here are my scars. You can show me yours. Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. We can share each other's scars, emotional, physical, community, because the blood of Christ shows us there is forgiveness and there is life. The blood of Christ. And all who love the Savior say, amen. As Craig is coming back up and we do our last song, and I, we never do this, but it, would you lead our closing prayer at the end? Thank you. Um,